0: Please choose your destination. You have selected Durham. Please choose your destination. You have selected Barnard Castle. Please choose your destination. You have selected the garden in Downing Street.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast in the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. Dominic Cummings is going nowhere. Which makes a nice change from his normal travel arrangements. The Prime Minister's most senior advisor giving an extraordinary press conference in the Down Street Garden, uh, a spot normally reserved for the Prime Minister himself. Although some people have noted he's almost as powerful as the Prime Minister, and Boris Johnson very keen not to let him go joining me to pick over uh, what on earth is happening and what might happen next I've got Steve Swinford uh, deputy political editor of the Times and columnist Hugo Rifkin so where to start really I mean it was pretty remarkable in fact let's just take a listen to the man himself this is Dominic Cummings
0: I don't I don't regret um, what, what I did as, as I said I think um, you know reasonable people may well disagree about how I Thought about what to do in in, 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 the, in the in these circumstances, but I think that I think that what I did was actually reasonable in these uh, um, in these circumstances. Um, in terms of the rules, I think that the um, I think that the, you know, the rules made clear that if you're dealing with small children, then that could be that can be exceptional circumstances.
1: Normally on a bank holiday, you'd sit down and watch a Bond film or something rather than the, the, the spectacle of a government advisor uh, laying themselves at the mercy of some cross journalists. Steve, let's start with you. What did you make of it? What was going through your mind watching it? And more importantly, what was going on in your WhatsApp from government ministers and advisors and that sort of thing as, as the, the thing unfolded? I mean, it was an extraordinary
2: thing to watch. It just shows what an extraordinary status that Dominic Cummings has within the, gar- within the government. I cannot imagine any other cabinet minister or even the prime minister subjecting himself to something like that in the Rose Garden of Downing Street. It was a very, very odd situation for someone who is an unelected official and is not even a member of the Conservative Party to be. That's how close he is to the heart of power. I mean, a lot of it depends who you are? A lot of the cabinet covenants that have been very, very critical of Dominic Cummings remain very critical. And I had some very, very hostile texts from cabinet ministers during uh, his uh, interrogation by journalists, in which they were saying he thinks we're a load of plebs. One of them told me, um, and another one. <laughs> to be clear, that, me, that
1: wasn't An- Andrew Mitchell, was it? <laughs> no, no. But another
2: one, and, another one, and you know, another one was saying that he's a big problem for the Conservative Party. And there there is a real risk here that the damage is going to go on and on. And and that is what they're worried about. So I think what he may have achieved in the short term is the government was very worried that 50 Tory MPs could come out and call for Cummings to resign, which they saw as a big threshold that they were quite uh, worried about. They were at 25 this afternoon. They've avoided that. But the bigger question is, obviously, they are going to get a lot of very hostile headlines tomorrow, not least from, I imagine, our colleagues at the Daily Mail, who this morning asked, what planet are they on? And they can expect more incoming on that. So he may have done enough to kind of, it's a stay of execution. Certainly, there's still a very strong opinion out
1: there against him. Hugo, let's sort of pick through it, because for the first, I don't know what it was, like five or ten minutes watching it, I thought he's doing all right here. He's laying it out very calmly. It's very different sort of moods to what you normally get in any encounters with uh, Dominic Cummings. He was sort of doing the timeline on this date and that date and who was ill and all of that. And then um, there was the, the stuff about how his son was taken to hospital and that seemed very serious. And then we veered off into... I wasn't sure if I could see, so I put my whole family in the car and drove thirty miles up the road. That's that's what I'd do, Matt. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Um, No, it was. So, like, you started off, and it kind of—he was very measured. He was very calm. People aren't. People don't. People aren't used to hearing Dominic Cummings speak, or even seeing him. He's just this figure. Actually, he is softly spoken. He's smart. He's reasonable, and he started talking. And I was sitting there, particularly as someone who'd already written four fifths of a column. About about the whole thing, I was sitting there, sort of slightly waiting for the silver bullet, going like, "What's he? What bomb is he about to drop?" That means we've all just been absolute assholes about this, and then it just kind of didn't come, and it just got increasingly sort of sad and weird and odd. And um, look, this is the problem with with politicians generally, and just people really generally. It's always different when it's you, right? Everyone always thinks they've behaved reasonably. Everyone always thinks they are mitigating circumstances that apply to them. And that's kind of what he did. He told this story about how he was feeling and what he did, and to himself, the way he has behaved has been completely reasonable. You know, he broke the lockdown because he felt it was the right thing to do for his family. Sure, we get that. But the problem is, A, he made the rules, saying that other people weren't able to, and B, they've just spent the last four days, five days in such a sort of catastrophic pileup of nonsense, where they've managed (laughs) to just, I mean, they've they've managed to destroy the lockdown, not only going forwards, but also going backwards, that they've discredited the achievement they already had by telling people that they shouldn't have bothered doing it. It's all just been such a massive disaster. And he just seemed incapable of in any way getting on top of that or being responsible for it, or doing anything other than explaining to everybody how he felt
1: he had already done the right thing. And it just got quite depressing to watch, I thought. Steve, one of the um, striking things for me is that when it first broke, I thought it was a terrific story. Man involved in drawing up the rules appears to have broken them uh, himself. And you can get into an argument about whether or not his exceptional circumstances justified it. Uh, I wasn't convinced that the initial story was enough to justify his resignation. But by the time we got to him giving his own press conference in the Downing Street Garden, Alistair Campbell used to say that spin doctors never become the story. Andy Coulson said when the spokesman needs a spokesman, it's time to go. At that point, I just thought, I'm not sure if he should or he will be able to survive this. But do you you think he he has now that actually by droning on for quite so long, nobody wants to hear about Barnard Castle ever again?
2: Uh, No, I don't think he's out of the woods yet at all. So Boris Johnson... Boris Johnson tonight was saying that he doesn't have his unconditional support, although he obviously backs him.
1: In fact, Steve, let me interrupt you because it was our colleague Lucy Fisher, uh, who was also going to join us on the podcast, but can't because she's now writing the story up for the paper. She asked the Prime Minister if basically he had unconditional love for Dominic Cummings. And this is what he said.
2: Prime Minister, is your backing
0: for Dominic Cummings unconditional? Or if it does become clear that he's undermining compliance with public health messaging, are you prepared to revisit this decision? Uh, I'm of course, uh, no. I can't give any unconditional uh, backing uh, to anybody but I do not uh, believe that anybody in number 10 has done anything to undermine our, uh, our messaging. What we want to make absolutely clear to the public is that the only way to solve this problem is if we stay alert, follow the guidelines, uh, control the virus and save lives. And that has been immensely effective so far. We're coming now to a, a difficult, you know, a, 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 a more difficult change of gears. We're going to be reopening uh, some retail, uh, then more retail in the course of uh, the coming month. Uh, we're, ask, we're, we're asking schools gradually to reopen. Uh, it is absolutely vital in this period that we continue to observe social distancing, washing our hands, isolating ourselves if we have symptoms. And I know that the common sense of the British people will will get us through it. So, Steve, this was significant, wasn't it? Because
1: you you know, the, up until now, Boris Johnson only really exists as Prime Minister because Dominic Cummings is is but an inch to his side.
2: Exactly. And, and Dominic Cummings has appeared completely unassailable and unsackable, which has left much of the cabinet wondering what he needs to do to actually be sacked. But then there was some other interesting language from the prime minister as well, when he said that it was basically, you know, he's laid out the facts. Uh, it's up to you to, to 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 decide, basically, put it out there to the public uh, to think about, to, to kind, of, kind of conclude their thoughts on him. And I thought that was really interesting, that idea that it's it's over to you, public, And if the public forum in the next few days kind of comes back and says, well, no, Dominic Cummings has done wrong and the papers keep going at him and at him and at him, then there's going to be a real issue. And I guess the problem will be at what point does this issue around Dominic Cummings' travel movements become too much? Does it become such a distraction from what the government's doing? Like tonight, for example, Boris Johnson announced what should be the front page of every paper, arguably. He announced that. The shops will reopen from mid-June, which is a really big moment. It's like all non-essential retailers basically barring hairdressers. And that should be something that people have been waiting for for a long time. It's a proper consumer story. And that is relegated as the second story in most papers. In some, it will even be the third papers. You'll have to tuck into the inside pages to find it. But it's a big moment. And the strange thing I find about this is in no way discrediting the rights and wrongs of what Dominic. Cummings has done. There's clearly an issue, and it needs to be answered. But we are looking in the face of what could be the biggest recession that this com- country's ever seen. We've got huge things that are about to happen to our economy, and we we are instead dominated by a row over Dominic Cummings, which is obviously obviously a story. But given the scale of what we're about to see and what we're about to go into, it's slightly surreal.
0: Can, can I just
3: add to that? I mean, it's it's basically it's too late for him to resign. If you see what I mean, you know it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense now. The problem isn't him and what he did. He did what he did. He shouldn't have done it. Big deal. You move on. The problem is the sort of contamination that's inflicted on the government when they all lined up on Saturday to, to tweet their support of him, absolutely breaking the rules. It just it it just it tarnished and damaged the government in a way that you just you don't come back from. So, yes, the story is kind of over in that respect, I think, in that, in that you know, there were much, much more important things going on in the world. But the legacy of this is it's just, it's just ripped away the credibility of a government. If you've got Michael Gove saying it's not a crime, when you know, technically it might have been a crime, and you've got Rishi Sunak saying it was justifiable and reasonable when it wasn't, and you've got Dominic Raab saying take a long, hard look in the mirror of people who are sceptical, skept- and they, he was breaking the rules that they set. You know they've just they've just discredited themselves
1: to to such a degree that it makes no difference if he resigns or not. Now it's done. It's happened. And what about Cummings personally? And the fact that up until now he's been the genius Svengali, the guy that we never saw, but he was in the background, and he won the referendum, and he got Boris Johnson uh, that enormous majority, and he, he despite provoking Parliament and kicking people out, and he's a classic dom, and he's the genius, and all that. And actually, him sort of sitting at a table in the in the garden, having to explain taking his son for a wee in the bushes and the i mean the least credible claim is the idea that you could drive 260 miles with a four-year-old in the car without stopping uh, for <laughs> any sort of toilet uh toilet stop but steve what, what impact do you think this has on the sort of the mask slipping it turns out he's just a human being after all that whilst some cabinet ministers tweet their support privately they're fuming i've had spads even while we've been recording this another spad has messaged me to say I'm totally fuming about this. You know, I've got sick relatives uh, and the idea that, you know, I can't go to see them, but he can apparently do what he's like. They're absolutely livid. D- does this affect the, the sort of the Downing Street operation long term, do you think, and its ability to... to to basically boss people around. I mean, Dominic Cummings marching people out of Downing Street at gunpoint seems like a very long time ago, Steve.
2: I think it has shaken Downing Street, right? They are massively on the back foot on something that they weren't expecting and that came almost out of nowhere. So none of them saw it coming. They were all working on the bigger picture stuff of the reopening, the easing of the lockdown, trying to get the economy to bounce back, and they weren't expecting it. And The critical thing, as Hugo was alluding to, is what this means for Boris Johnson. So Boris Johnson has spent his own political capital. He has put himself on the line to defend Dominic Cummings. And how much will that come back to bite him? Do the public see Dominic Cummings and Boris Johnson as one and the same now over this issue? Or do they see enough distance that that Boris remains kind of a a relatively popular prime minister while Dominic Cummings is the kind of Machiavellian advisor behind the scenes? How much of those lines blurred is one of the key
1: questions going forward. Still to come, we ask what role, if any, is Keir Starmer managed to play in all this or has he managed to just let the government get on with tying itself in knots? We'll be back just after this.
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about
1: I just want to talk quickly about Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, who's been getting a lot of plaudits in the past couple of weeks for his performances at PMQs, which, depending on which side of the fence you're in on, are brilliantly forensic barrister in action or um, sort of slightly pedantic nitpicking, you know, and being wise after the event. How, how do you think he emerges from this, Hugo? In the, he, he, he was quite slow to actually respond. He didn't call for, for Cummings to be sacked for quite a while. Does the opposition gain from this or does the opposition just gain because the government has tied itself in knots? I think more the latter.
3: I mean, the opposition sort of gains from standing still, really. You know, I mean, it's like it's the thing. The thing about Cummings is, you know, whether the the, the sort of the mask of the brilliant guy has slipped. He is brilliant. He's you know he's a, he's fantastic at what he does. You know, the, the, the he is responsible for take back control. He's responsible for get Brexit done. He's responsible for stay at home, protect the NHS, and save lives. Like, you know, these are the sort of defining slogans of our past five, six years, whatever. You know, he, he is fantastic at what he does. But the problem the government has generally is they are a government for times that we are no longer in. They were elected to to fulfil a task that is no longer the main task of government. And Boris Johnson picked his cabinet to back him in doing a thing that is no longer the main thing he has to do. And so generally, the government just looks... Not up to the task, and the reason why it looks not up to the task is because it's not up to the task. It's a it's a Brexit campaigning government, and so what Keir Starmer manages to do, almost in a sort of small C conservative way, is sit there looking like the sort of person you kind of want in charge when you're in trouble, who isn't flash and isn't sort of isn't sort of noisy and chanting it and 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 sloganeering. And I think it reflects on him quite well. He does have the same problem to an extent that Jeremy Corbyn had, which is that once you get behind him, the, his shadow cabinet is is
1: awfully thin. But for the time being, he's not really letting them say anything. So that's fine. Steve, what about the broader question and what happens next? Because you're right that, you know, the government, you know, Boris Johnson clearly wanted the big announcement to be opening up car showrooms because... I think what we've all been doing for the last few weeks is sitting at home thinking, I want to buy a bigger car uh, to drive to Durham. But um, you know, they clearly want to open up the economy. They want people going back to work. As a result of that, R, the R rate, the infection rate, the transmission rate is likely to rise. It's already 0.7 to 1. So there's not very much wiggle room there. If it rises too sharply... Opponents of the government is just going to blame the chaos of the last three or four days, aren't they?
2: Yes, I I think they can use this again and again and they will come back to it again and again. And they've got this very, very delicate balancing act between reopening the economy and and avoiding a second peak. Um, But by the same token, so the big thing that is coming uh, this week is going to be the announcement on furloughing and what they do for furloughed workers. Now, eight million people are furloughed. And they are going to basically the companies that are going to be asked to pay 25 percent of their salaries. And that means that in August, there's going to be a big crunch point where companies decide whether they're going to sack lots of people or not. Um, and that is a huge issue that's on the horizon. So this is, the, again, just to come back to it, this is a big issue, but there is bigger stuff to come on this. and And this whole easing of the lockdown, what lies behind it, what the prime minister was saying today was he was basically urging people to get out there and spend money. He wants to get consumer confidence back and he wants to get people into shops. So that's what the thinking is here, that yes, there is a massive health crisis, but the economic crisis that's coming down the tracks could be just as bad. And there are suggestions from Treasury that actually the health impact of the economic crisis in its own right can end up being worse than coronavirus.
1: Uh, Just finally, uh, let's just touch on the role of the media uh, in all of this, because if you're fans of the government and fans of Dominic Cummings, this has all been a media witch hunt, uh, not for the first time not all of the press conference questions were brilliant is it fair to say hugo what what have you made of the media's role in all of this
3: no, well, I mean they they weren't brilliant, uh, and a lot, and indeed some of the reporting hasn't been brilliant. I did sort of bristle a bit at Cummings saying a lot of the media reporting has been inaccurate, because of course included in the media reporting that's been inaccurate is the is the thing that he wrote himself in the Spectator, <laughs> and the one and the and the one that, the one that his, that his wife wrote, you know, which 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 if it didn't directly say they've been in London, it certainly heavily implied it. It's also a bit harsh to say to to basically when you have a, when you have a story. That emerges, as this one did in the in the in the Mirror and the Guardian, and you have Downing Street basically flatly refusing to discuss it, but just saying no, you're just wrong. Not saying what the right thing is, just saying you're wrong. You know, th- this whole statement that Cummings made today, he said himself, "I should have made this earlier. If he'd made it earlier, four days ago, we wouldn't have had the last four or five days. We wouldn't have had the bizarre spectacle of the government saying we won't tell you what he did, but it certainly wasn't wrong." You know, and so it's I think you come I in you know the the, the, me, the media the media are, are not mind readers they present the best story they we present the best story we can at a given time with the information we've got and if and if if downing street and in this context downing street is Cummings, is refusing to to add information into the information pool then things are going to be less accurate than you'd hope so i haven't got i haven't got a huge amount of sympathy in that regard i don't think
1: what about you, Steve? What do you make of the, the media's handling of it?
2: I think, I think it's it's there have been hits and misses. So, I mean, we would not be having this discussion and we would not have learned that Dominic Cummings had travelled 260 miles from London to Durham if it wasn't for the reporting of the Mirror and the Guardian who, who established this and, and, and had the scoop last week. And I think it is an issue for public debate and that is an issue of public interest. Now, you can decry the media for their inaccuracies and when they get things wrong, but on the core point here that the Prime Minister's most senior advisor potentially had breached lockdown rules and travelled from London to Durham, that stands. And that that story and that that scoop is is correct. So, yes, other things may be inaccurate, but it is certainly something that should be for public debate and public consumption.
1: And ultimately, the thing that we should remember in all of this is that the The worst possible outcome from this is that if it does undermine the public health message, if people do start behaving in a way which increases the spread of this, that is, you know, far worse than the impact on, you know, t- Dominic Cummings' career or or you know how people view the papers. As if there was some want some golden age when journalists were universally loved, and it's only recently that things have taken a turn for the worst. Uh, just finally, quick question to both of you: Where do you think we'll be by the end of the week? Are we still talking about Dominic Cummings, Hugo?
3: I mean, I mean, I, I probably will because I'll have to write a column.
1: But I'm not sure.
3: Um, <laughs> it, it, I'm that, not sh- that
1: crossed my mind. There's nothing worse than a story <laughs> yeah. breaking at the weekend like yeah. that. Oh, we have to wait a whole well, week.
3: I mean, I, you know, I, I, write, I write my week. It doesn't even have Saturday and Sunday in it. So that's, that's a bit screwed. Um, but um, I am, um, I, God, I mean, I hope not. You know, it's like, it's like I mean, it's the, as a journalist who largely concentrates on, on frankly trivial matters for the, for the amusement and engagement of my readers, there's nothing I like less when the big stories are trivial too. When when that that terrain gets kind of, sort of gets sort of crowded, you start to feel you're frankly, you're frankly being irresponsible. You know, I can only do what I do if everyone else is doing more important things. So I hope that I hope that really we do get back to discussing well the easing of lockdown, the economic situation, the health consequences, all that all that kind of stuff. I do not still want to be debating Dominic Cummings by the end of the week, except for very specifically in my own column that I write.
1: Now, I think at that precise moment, Steve is ducked out because he's got to go and write news for the Times. Uh, so I will say uh, a massive thanks to Steve, is not with, and also to Hugo. Whatever you're doing this week, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. So you don't miss future episodes. Stay up to date with news on Times Radio by following at Times Radio on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and whatever you're doing, don't go to Barnard Castle if you can't see. Uh, that's the main thing we've learnt this week. Uh, for me, Matt Cholly, it's goodbye.